last several weeks, we've been working through the obscure, hard-to-find book of Habakkuk, a prophecy where Habakkuk struggled with, probably not unlike us, the wickedness of the world, struggled with the evilness of a particular enemy like the Chaldeans, uh, to see the world headed in the wrong direction, and how God says, I'm going to use those wicked people to bring about judgment on you. And he was given a vision like this, that God was going to do all these things, even though it was going to be painful. That even though the Chaldeans might seem to be victors in the short term, God would eventually remove them. And Habakkuk says, I get it, I understand it, but I don't know if I like it. Just, I guess like us sometimes, huh? The prophet realized that it's easy to get angry, to get bitter, to become selfish. Instead, he chose to write a song, which we looked at last week. This strange theophany song with a dissonant tune that must have been strange to listen to. A song that would encourage and remind them of the goodness of God as he has taken care of his people over the centuries and down through the ages. Coming on the heels of that song, we come to the payoff, if you will, the conclusion, if you will. And you think, well, this would be short. It is somewhat, but it's... It's a question that we all have to face, and I'm calling it the choice. What's the choice? The choice is this. Will we trust God or not? Will we walk by faith or not? Will we choose to live under the shadow of his wing, or will we try to just wing it on our own? Well, we don't do. It's a choice we all have to make. And what follows here serves as a conclusion of the prophecy as well as helping us understand that you and I really do get to make the choice. Will we follow God in his ways or we do it ourselves? I'm reminded of another writer in the Old Testament who said this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I think that's the, the, the decision that Habakkuk comes to here at the end of his writing. And so there's just four things that kind of makes a sentence when it's all done. It may not be a real smooth English sentence, but it's a, the coherent thought of what's here. The first part of it is this. As we face our fears, what do we have to do? We've got to wait on God. You go, well, I don't like waiting. I don't either. Look at verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. So we come to the conclusion, the end, if you will, the payoff, maybe you want to call it, and the people of God are facing a terrible, dastardly enemy who is coming not just to conquer them, but to utterly subject them and destroy them. Please don't get in your mind that the Chaldeans were some social workers coming in to help out. No, they were coming to, like locusts, to take the land, to take whatever they want, to destroy what they want, to kill who they wanted to. And God has said, I'm going to use those people. Go figure. Those people to bring judgment on you. Well, if that didn't make you stop and go, God can use anybody. I don't know if we're listening to the story or not. So God's people are headed into a very difficult season of life. Destruction, death, suffering. And so the prophet is faced with this situation. He's heard from God. He knows what God's going to do. He's been told clearly this is where it's going. And so the prophet stops and says... Okay, I'm going to wait. But look what his, his body reactions are. Look at the verse right there. He says, I hear. I mean, you've got to listen first, right? 
He says, my body trembles. Have you ever been in a moment where your life, your body just shakes from the fear, from the moment, what's coming on? Your lips quiver. You just don't, I don't know what to say in that moment. A rottenness enters your bones. You're, you're, you know what I'm you know, talking about there? That, that idea of just like, oh, this is just awful. It's kind of like what Texas fans have been, been going through watching football games lately. You know, they, they get to the third quarter, fourth quarter, they get a rottenness in their bones. I mean, it's just, I feel for y'all, you know. It's hard. And I know I've been there, okay. We have to play OU too, okay. But that, that sense, oh, your legs tremble. You're going, I don't know if I can stand up or not. This is where the prophet is. He's in a struggle. He's in the middle of hardships. He's in the middle of pain. He's in the middle of an ugly situation. And his response is amazing. Look what he does. The second part of verse 16 says, yet. I've started adding that word more to my vocabulary. Yet, God. Yet, what? I will wait. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Do what? He says, I'm not going to become angry. I'm not going to become bitter. I'm not going to overreact. I'm not going to become vindictive. I'm not going to try to destroy. I'm not going to go out and get even. I'm going to wait. I suspect the bigger part of his choice is the reality he really had no control over what was coming. Much like us, right? So often in life we think, well, I'm going to control this. I'm going to take care of this. You know what? The the older I get, the more I realize I ain't got control, control of hardly anything in my life. In a real sense, he was an unwilling participant in the theater of what's going on in the world. He says, I've got to go through it. I don't have any choice. He, so he says, my choice is this, I will wait. I will wait for God. I'm going to wait for God to do what God's going to do. I'm going to wait for God to move. I'm going to do, even if it means strife, even if it means pain, if it means pain, even if it means my, my neighbors and my friends are hurt or even killed, even if it means some of us are taken into captivity, even if there's a hardship, I'm going to depend on God. For Verse 17, though the world is falling apart, for though the fig tree shouldn't blossom, the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. The prophet is going, okay, God, I'm going to wait. I'm going to watch. I'm going to see what you're going to do. I'm going to, okay, God, I'm going to trust you through this. I don't know where we're going, but I'm going with you. Habakkuk is not in control. So he says, I'm going to wait on you. But during the midst of this, look what happens. The fig trees don't blossom. You're going, I don't like figs anyway. Well, in the Middle East, if you didn't have figs, you didn't have a lot of your foodstuffs. These folks were totally agrarian. They didn't go to the local supermarket or the, or the local market to get their stuff. They grew it. They had to trade for it. They had to do these things. And if things began to break down, things get tough. In Judah, figs are a staple of their diet. Figs not blossoming is potential famine. The vines not producing, they lose a source of food. You've heard of grapes. It also makes a a drink that they like to drink, whether fermented or unfermented in the Middle East, a lot of wine or grape juice, if you want to call it that. The fields start failing. You go, well, just go down to the store. Just get online and place the order. They don't have that. This is important. Failure of the crops. How about lambs and goats not being in the fold, you go, okay, I can live without lamb. I can live without goats. 
They couldn't. That was important. Those animals also produce not only milk, but meat. They also produce wool for clothing. We're starting to really expand the supply chain issues here. Have you seen what's going on? There's no herds in the stall. The, the, the cows that they did have would mean a loss of milk and an occasional beef addition to the plant of the, of the diet. The picture that the prophet paints is a world falling apart with a supply chain crumbling around them. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Huh. We thought that was a new thing. And what they're facing, though it's vastly different than what we maybe feel, it still happens. They're in a situation not unlike the guy on the island off the tip of South America as he sat there and watched his friends die and he began to waste away. And he says, yet I'm going to what? Praise God in it. All hope seems lost. No end but death. The world's falling apart. Yet, yet, verse 18, yet what? I'm going to choose to rejoice in the Lord. You're going, Habakkuk, you lost your mind, brother. You with me? In the midst of all that, how do you rejoice? God, you, there's no supplies in the, in the pantry. The fields are empty. The stalls are not full. We've got a problem. How are we going to live? How am I going to take care of my family? How will I feed my children? How are we going to take care of everything? He says, oh, I'm going to what? Rejoice in the Lord. He says, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. You're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Huh? I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In the middle of this chaos, in the middle of this mayhem, in the middle of this destruction, the prophet, I think, gives us a beautiful example of the right response when we're faced with these kind of moments. I will rejoice in the Lord. You go, so we have to just like like everything? I didn't say you have to like what's going on, but it's a matter of a mindset that says, I'm not going to complain and gripe and, and, and go on and on. I'm going to what? Rejoice in the Lord. Why? God's still there. He's still with us. I'm going to take joy in the God of my salvation. What he does here, I think, is transformational because instead of focusing on the struggles like we often do, instead of focusing on the trials like we often do, instead of focusing on the hardships like we often do, instead of focusing on the pain like we often do, he does what? He says, I will rejoice. He's making a conscious decision in the midst of all this struggle, all this hardship, to say, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Now, some of you are sitting here this morning, listening this morning, saying, how in the world can somebody rejoice in the middle of such a terrible season? How is it possible to praise God in the middle of the storm? Now, remember, the prophet has shared his frustration early on in the, in the, in the prophecy. Remember, he, he complained to God. He said, God, what are you doing? We're your people. You're supposed to take care of us. We're supposed to have safety. We're supposed to have security. We're supposed to provide for us. God, where are you at? And you're going to use the who to do the what to us? You're going to use the pagans to bring judgment? Come on, God, that can't be you. But these folks are going to reap what they've sown. They're going to face hardship as a direct result of the rejection of God in their lives. And they're going to find themselves in pain. Yet the prophet makes the conscious choice to say this, I will praise God. Why? Who else could he praise? Who else is worthy of our praise in the midst of the trial, the struggles, the hardships, the pain? Who else can we turn to in those moments but God? And he gives us the basis right here in verse 19. Because surely God alone is our strength. Look at verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer, the deers. 
He makes, my, makes me tread on my high places. And then there's a note at the end of how the music's supposed to be played to the choir master with stringed instruments. What is the basis for his choice? Let me tell you something. It is not blind faith. Some of you say, oh, well, church is all about just having blind faith and not worried about. No, it's just not what he does. It's not blind faith. It is not a mere opinion. He goes, well, I, I really, really think, in my opinion, that God's going to be the one. It's not a herd mentality. Well, everybody's doing it, so we better trust God, okay? It's not some warm, fuzzy thought. You go, oh, I read the devotional this morning. It said, trust God, I'm good. No, it's more than that. He boldly declares, did you notice there's two words here, God, the Lord. Those are two different words in, in the Hebrew. One is Adonai and one is Yahweh. So what he's saying is this, God, you're not merely my physical strength, though that's part of it. Adonai, Yahweh, gives us the idea that he is a physical, emotional, spiritual strength. This is all-encompassing. Everything in his life, he says, it's all about you, God. I'm all in. You're my provider. You're my health and my wealth. You're my army who fights for me. You're the one who understands me. You're the one that I confess that it's, you're the Lord. And you're the one who gives me the ability to go to these crazy places. Now, there's some really pretty cool imagery in the poetic part of this here that we don't catch in English as well. What he's talking about are these, 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 these crazy animals and, <laughs> crazy animals. They're called ibec. And you're going, what's an ibec? It's like a mountain goat. And, and these crazy little animals can, can run up that wall over there. And you go, how in the world will they get up that wall? Because that's how God made them. And, and they are so sure-footed, they can go into places that, that average folks just can't get. And what he's saying is, God, you make my feet like the deer, like the ibex, like the, like the mountain goat that can go up a wall to a high place and get away. You're the one who's my deliverer. And then we find what I think is what got to be the most difficult confessions for us. I know it is for me to recognize that our strength is limited, but God's strength is limitless. We say, well, I can handle that. I, I'm, I, I'm becoming convinced that when we get to the point where we say, I can handle that, we are headed in the wrong direction. I don't want to handle it. I want God to handle it. I want God to step into the moment. I want God to move. Don't you? I want God to be the one who carries me through these trials and struggles because when we turn our lives over to him, then he's able to carry us. He makes us with feet like deer. He makes us to tread on the high places. We're able to be strong, not because of us, but because of him and to be able to be where he wants us to be. So three quick truths I want you to see. I told you it wouldn't be as long. First, there's three decisions we have to make. Remember, it's a choice. You got to decide who you really trust. Who do you really trust? Some of you say, well, I don't trust anybody. You know that statement says that you only trust one person, yourself? We all trust. We all trust in others. We have to ask ourselves, who do we trust? Who do I really trust? You know, in life you can trust a lot of things. You can say, well, I trust my spouse. I hope you do. I trust my family. I hope you can. I, I trust my employer. Or if you're on the other side of the equation, you trust your employees. You trust your coworkers. Some say, well, I trust my government. Some say, I trust the doctors. I trust all these other things. But the foundational decision, my friends, that we have to make in life is who do we really trust? Who do we trust in life? Who do we trust? 
Remember, he was facing, I think, one of the most difficult moments in life. His future was terrible. You think, man, we got it hard today. We've had to deal with a, a pandemic, and we've had to be home a lot, and we've had to do all these little things different, and we've had to deal with all the political fallout of all of that. Man, it's been ugly. If y'all hadn't noticed that, you hadn't been looking, right? But here's the reality. Who do we trust? Regardless of the circumstances. Yeah, there's one thing I'm learning through this season of life is that I cannot trust me for everything big. I got to trust God. I'm reminded of the verse in Hebrews where he challenged them to walk with confidence. And he says, so we can confidently say what? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. That's just a great verse to have in our mind and our lives as we live. We say, well, I can't do that because somebody's going to, somebody's going to. Let me tell you what, if God leads you to do it, you better do it. If God's driving you to do it, you better go. If you say, go here, do that. You say, don't go there, don't do that. And we live our lives, we are an ever-increasing wicked culture. And those of us who profess to follow Jesus have, to choice, have a choice to make. Will we trust God? Will we trust God? When we begin to look anywhere else, we reveal that we're not trusting God. Whom do you trust? Second thought, decide what gets your affection. And you're going, isn't that the same thing? Not quite. So much of our lives is consumed with amassing uh, finances and resource and possessions and all of those kind of things. So much of our lives are focused on Some of you say, well, I've already done all that. I've got it in the bank. Well, let me tell you what. If you've got it in the bank already, you're doing everything you can to what? Keep it in the bank. And if you don't have it, you're working to what? Try to provide for your needs. We're all dealing with the same thing from some perspective or another. We spend a large amount of our time on production of wealth, things that make us comfortable, doing the thing. We focus on doing what we do to assure that we're comfortable and content. But, but let me ask this. Just imagine with me. What if we've got it all wrong? What if we've got it all wrong? What if we allowed our focus, what if we have allowed our focus to be misdirected from the one who loves us and wants the best for our lives and we have settled for the mere temporary, the mere transitory, the mere unlasting things around us. I, I suspect far too many of us spend our time on things that have little or no eternal value. We fill our days up with stuff, and at the end of the day, we go, what did that matter? I'm going to do it all again tomorrow. And instead of plugging our lives into the temporary of this world, maybe we could be people who say, I want to wake up with an expectation that says, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have my affection on you. And I want to be connected to the things you have for me. Not centered on what we get, but what we give to him. Part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about the things that capture our attention, our affection, if you will. 
He challenged them, and I think he challenges us as well when he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, when this life is over, what will last is not the possessions we amass. Do you know how much of that stuff you get to take with you, right? Nothing. For years, I think I've shared this with you all before, but for years my dad had a picture on the wall of his office of a hearse turning into the cemetery pulling a U-Haul trailer with the caption, he's taking it all with him. But you and I both know what? That isn't going to happen. It all stays here. And your kids get to dig through it all and figure out what they're going to throw away. That's depressing, isn't it? It can't be. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. It's something that we say, I'm going to live my life differently. I'm going to live my life in a way that honors God. I'm going to have my affection set on Him and His ways and His purpose because that's the opposite of what God wants from us, having the things with us. What we need to be is people who allow our days to be filled with the presence of God. And I think what Habakkuk realized, and I pray that we realize, is that this life is short. And it'll be over quicker than you realize. Who has your affection? Third, decide where you find strength. Where do you find strength to live this life? You know, all of us have been through seasons of life where we go, man, I don't think I can go on anymore. I'm wore out. I'm tired. There's a lot of guys I know in ministry we talk from time to time, and there's a lot of guys leading churches, trying to lead churches through this season of life, and they're wore out. They're tired. Trying to find that balance between the middle, between the ones who are hyper this and those who are hyper that and those who are anti this and for that and this and this. It's been tough for a lot of folks. You may be dealing with that in, in your life in different ways. This has been a tough season. Where do you find strength to go on? You know, we'll look at the obstacles and say, mountain, mountain, I can't climb that. I can't go there. I can't do it. We see a full way forward, he'll be but God, that the way, that's the way forward. That can't be the way. There's no way I can do that. I don't think I can go where you want me to go. I can't handle this. I can't do it. I can't go. I don't have the strength. Where do you find your strength? Habakkuk said this, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes my tread, makes me tread on my high places. What he does here is makes a confession and a declaration. Let me close with these two thoughts. The confession is simply this. I can't. I can't. You know, a lot of us really struggle with that phrase. We go, well, I can't say that. I can't say that. I can't say that I can't. You get it? It's kind of weird when we say it that way. But his confession is this. I don't have the strength to do it. I can't do it without your help, because Lord, you are my strength. I, I suspect Habakkuk was not elderly. I don't think he was a teenager either, from what I can tell. I think he was somewhere around, oh, Harold's age. Which is about my age, by the way. You know, middle age. Not young anymore, but not, not older. Just somewhere in the middle. He says, I'm, I'm a little tired, but I'm not real tired. 
I don't have it, though. He's experienced much in life. He's walked with the Lord. He's experienced. He, he looks around and goes, man, this political situation is a mess. I don't know what's going to happen. The spiritual decline of our nation is ugly. It's not encouraging. And there's a lot of doubt there. And so what he does, instead of continuing to focus on the negative and the problems and the ugly and all this, he says, finally, he says, God, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't fix it. I can't correct it. I can't do it. However, you can. God, you can. I think this is where, as the old preacher used to say it, where the rubber meets the road. This is where we put it to practice. We say, okay, God, I can't, you can. This is where... To quote the New Testament, where faith is released into action, where we begin to walk by faith instead of by sight. Here's where the steps forward begin to happen. This is where life begins to really happen. When we finally get to the place where we say, God, I'm not in charge. You're the boss. I'm not ready to do that, Pastor. I'm going to be in charge. And that's your right. But I'm going to tell you, that's what got the nation of Israel and the people of Judah in the place they were in the first place where God was going to bring judgment because they wouldn't trust him alone. And yet, through all that, God worked supernaturally to bring about his purpose. We celebrated the Lord's table today on purpose because what God was doing through that nation was preparing them to bring about the Messiah about 560 years later. The one who would offer us forgiveness as they walked by faith. So maybe you're here today and you've yet to walk by faith. You said, I, I, I know a lot about God, but I don't know God. It's as simple as this. God, just talk to him and say, God, I, I can't. You can. I want to trust you alone. I want to follow you alone. For many of us, who have walked with the Lord for a number of years, we have a tendency over time to begin to take control back from God. To say, God, you, you used to be in charge of this, but I, I am now. God, you used to lead the year, but I'm in. And we need to be people who get up daily and say, I want to be crucified with Christ. It's no longer my life, but yours. That's a daily decision we have to make. Father, we pray your blessing on this time as we respond to you. Father, some who need to come have someone pray for them, some who need to come to an altar and, and kneel, some who just need to be, remain seated and just do business with you where they are and say, God, I want to know you, or God, I want to live for you. Father, I pray your hand in these few moments. We want you to be released, to be free in our lives every day. In Jesus' name, amen.